This week on Inside Motorsport, we look back at the Australian Formula One Grand Prix with Lachlan Mansell. I hope you'll stay with us. Lockie, great to have you back on board in Talking Formula One. Good evening, Craig. Great to be back. And the first round of the 2018 Formula One World Championship, the Australian Grand Prix, answered a lot of the questions that we had coming into this season and probably confirmed a lot of things that we expected were going to happen. In particular, the fact that Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull seem to be a bit more closely matched in terms of performance than they were last year. In race pace, they all seem pretty close together, which is a good sign for what's to come throughout the rest of the season. Pit strategy, tyre life, all came into play, even if outright speed wasn't in your uh, wheelhouse on Saturday. The decisive moment of the race was definitely the fact that Sebastian Vettel was able to execute his pit stop during a virtual safety car period, where Hamilton did an earlier stop under green conditions, and that was what really played into Vettel's hands and allowed him to leapfrog over Hamilton. So in some respects, you'd have to say that Vettel was very lucky. Hamilton clearly got a bit unlucky with the way that things played out. But that's the nature of safety cars and pit stops, and there is a, a bit of a gamble involved, a bit of an element of luck and fortune. It's been the other way around a couple of times, especially last year. So, uh, you know, I think what goes around comes around. Uh, maybe sometimes it feels bad to wait for it, but uh, on a day like this, obviously... Yeah, you don't mind, and uh, overall I think it's a great result for the team. Um, obviously we did our homework, we spoke about exactly that before the race, and obviously you never know what happens, and that's the proof that you have to remain sharp. So as soon as I saw the virtual safety car, I knew what to do, and uh, we tried to do everything, and it worked. You know, it was tight, but it worked. I don't know, it's always different when you, when you lose uh, a race. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely quite hard right now. It, it always is. It's never easy to, to, to lose a race. But I did everything I was supposed to do. I, and so that I'm coming in, I am in disbelief because I just, I did everything that I was supposed to do. I came, I was prepared, I, I drove as, as well as I could. I didn't put a foot wrong and all of a sudden I came out behind and I'm thinking, what is, what just happened? I don't, so I know as much as you, as I was just saying just now. Um, but at least, at least in my heart, I know that I gave everything this weekend and I didn't leave a stone unturned. Um, I'm sure the team is feeling pain right now, but we'll, re, uh, we'll regroup and I'm sure um, work on it. But of course, I can't comment on what it is or, or tell you if I'm upset on, about the decision or anything like that because I don't know what it was. It does. And then uh, Valtteri Bossas, Australia's Daniel Ricciardo, had an interesting stoush as well. Well, Bottas crashed in qualifying and then had to do a gearbox change which cost him some more positions on the grid so they had to fight his way through from a lowly grid position on a circuit where overtaking is difficult particularly with the current specification F1 cars which are so reliant on their aerodynamics and it makes it very hard for them to follow each other closely. Dan Ricardo had very good race pace but he copped a three grid position penalty in uh, qualifying or actually due her infringement under a red flag in practice where he was too fast under red flag conditions. So that meant he had to do some hard work during the race. In terms of the other teams as well, I think you'd have to say that Renault are one of the big improvers. Both of their drivers, Nico Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz Jr., 
showed very promising turns of speed and also the other team that's taken a big step forward after ditching the Honda engines and switching to Renault engines this season is McLaren with both Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn inside the top 10. They don't have the pace to challenge the front runners, but at least they're not battling to make it out of Q1 like they were last year. Interesting, though, that Williams had so many dramas. Williams are a team that has polarised a lot of people with their driver selection this year because they don't have any experienced lead driver. They've got Lance Stroll, who is in his second season, and it's no secret that he's quite heavily funded to be in that seat at Williams. And they've also got Sergei Sorotkin, who is a rookie in Formula One. So with no experienced team leader, you get the feeling that it's going to be a bit of a long season because... They just don't have that Formula One knowledge that they need from an experienced and accomplished driver to be able to develop the car. So one team that had a horrific uh, pit stop series was the Haas team with Magnussen and Grosjean both out almost as soon as they left the pits and two different wheels, the left rear and the left front, all causing problems. And uh, interestingly enough, they didn't try to limp the car back. They just pulled it to the side. And just an extraordinary situation to think that a team could be eliminated from contention in one fell swoop due to issues happening with both cars during the pit stop. And it was a real shame for Haas because up until that point, they looked very competitive. Kevin Magnussen qualified fifth, which was the best ever qualifying result for Haas. And in terms of speed, they probably looked like the fourth best team behind the three front runners, Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. So both of their cars could go out. That's very, very costly and lots of points for them in the team's championship. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Williams being polarising. Well, Haas is very polarising as well, as uh, they, uh, a lot of teams are saying they're just uh, Ferraris in different clothing, or a wolf in different clothing, if you like, because they buy so much of their technology from the one manufacturer. A lot of those cars, or a lot of the parts on those cars are supplied by Ferrari, certainly the engine, the gearbox, a lot of the suspension componentry. The chassis is still designed independently, though, by Zolara, so it's not just like a Ferrari completely built customer car, but, yes, there is a lot of Ferrari DNA in the half, but uh, there's nothing... Uh, in the rules that says that they're not allowed to go down that path, and it has proven to be quite a cost-effective and efficient way of them to be able to come into Formula One and for them to be competitive reasonably quickly. Mm. And uh, a very different labour bill to what some of the teams with six and uh, 650 staff when they're running around with probably 150, which still beggars belief that you have that many people working on two race cars. So probably a good idea as well, Craig, just to cover off a couple of the other teams. So Force India, which finished fourth in the Constructors' Championship the last two years, they might be struggling a bit to hold on to that this year because they didn't get either of their drivers into the points on the weekend and they just didn't seem to have the pace of Renault, for example, or McLaren. So I think a couple of other teams have leapfrogged them. And the other team that I think might be in for a long season is Toro Rosso. They've obviously picked up that on the engine deal that was discarded by McLaren last year. And uh, once again, it just looks like the Honda engines are not as competitive as the other power units being used by everybody else in the field. Mm, which was a, a terrible luck for Brendan Hartley, the new, young New Zealand driver who's with that team now. 
him and also Pierre Gasly, the other rookie in that team. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to be relying on a bit of luck and maybe mechanical attrition or retirements for all of the other contenders for them to have a chance at scoring points during the season. Mm. In local interest, the V8 Supercars had four races of their own championship at the Grand Prix, and uh, interesting to hear some of the comments at the end of racing where it was a still a lukewarm reception to it being a points-paying race. Overall, though, I think big thumbs up to it being a points-paying event and awesome racing as well, particularly, um, you know, we had four different winners across the four races, but the real standout race was the Saturday afternoon one where Scott Pye held on in very, very tricky weather conditions on slick tyres to take his first Supercars Championship race victory, holding out Jamie Winkup and Nick Perkett on slick tyres on a breezy wet track right at the end. So Scott McLaughlin taking the first ever points-paying race at the Australian Formula 1 Grand Prix in Melbourne, followed by Jamie Winkup. To get the LP trophy, it's quite a nice trophy. It's full carbon. I think it's a bit of titanium as well. It's crazy light, so um, it'll, look, it'll look fantastic in the workshop. Then Scott Pye, as you mentioned, in the wet. And, of course, the most colourful figure in supercars, David Reynolds, taking a shoey on the top step of the podium on Sunday. Yeah, I'm still obviously disappointed that I didn't win at Adelaide, but to get a win to here today is pretty, pretty special. Like, you, know, you stand on the podium, they play the Formula 1 music. I felt like Daniel Ricciardo just for a split second. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, good day. There's was, was only 13 laps, like it wasn't. It's kind of, I, left, I don't know, it's a bit of a weird feeling because it's not a really long race. Like, it's slogged it hard for 70 odd laps and do 13 lap sprint races, even though they're super, super intense races. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good day. It was good to see the variety, and uh, we're starting to get a feel for who the main championship contenders are going to be this year. Definitely the Red Bull Holden Racing Team and DJR Team Penske look like they're going to have another battle royale throughout the season. But there's a few other names that look like they're going to appear in the mix as well. So David Reynolds is second in the championship and following on from his Bathurst win last year, that Erebus Penrite-sponsored Commodore looks like it's going to be quick pretty much everywhere this year, so he's going to be right in the mix. Chaz Mostert's been consistent and he's in the top five in the points as well. And the other interesting subplot this season is the battle to be the best rookie driver. A lot of people would have tipped at the start of the season for it to be a shoe-in for Richie Stanaway. But uh, so far, the first two events have seen Anton Di Pasquale in the second of the Erebus Commodores who has been the standout rookie performer and he's the leading newcomer in the point standings after the Grand Prix. Yeah, another youngster from Australia who's tried his hand overseas and come back now with a couple of seasons of the Dunlop series, doing a great job up in the second of the Erebus cars. Lachlan, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Of course, you're off to the Bathurst six hour this weekend. I am indeed, so it's going to be a big weekend. Some uh, good support categories as well, including historic Formula Fawn, where I'll be overseeing operations for the category and Excel where I'll be cheering on my uh, female client Emily Duggan so it should be a good weekend Well we look forward to uh, seeing that racing on Fox if you can't make it to the mountain. Lachlan always a pleasure to catch up with you. Look forward to speaking to you in the months ahead. Cheers Craig thanks for having me. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport until next time round keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network